0: What you are listening to was created with an artificial voice for the audiobook initiative on Sermon Audio. There may be mispronunciations or occasional repetitions. To report a mistake, please email us at info at sermonaudio.com and include the sermon ID or title of the message and the time at which the error occurs. We will do our best to get it corrected for future listeners. Christian Behavior Part 1 Being the fruits of true Christianity Teaching husbands, wives, parents, children, masters, servants, etc. How to walk so as to please God With a word of direction to all backsliders Advertisement by the editor This valuable practical treatise was first published as a pocket volume about the year 1674, soon after the author's final release from his long and dangerous imprisonment. It is evident from the concluding paragraph that he considered his liberty and even his life to be still in a very uncertain state. Not from the infirmities of age, for he was then in the prime of life, but from the tyranny of the government, and probably from the effects of his long incarceration in a damp, unhealthy jail. It is the best and most scriptural guide that has ever appeared to aid us in the performance of relative duties, written with originality of thought and the peculiar and pious earnestness which so distinguishes all his works. No one can read this book without finding in it his own portrait, truly and correctly drawn to the life. Many have been the hearers of the Word in its public ministration, who have been astonished that a faithful minister has not only opened their outward conduct, but the inward recesses of their hearts, and have inquired with wonder, where could he get such a knowledge of my heart? The usages and feelings of every part of the human family, The rich and poor, outward professors or openly profane, God-fearers or God-defiers are displayed in the following pages as accurately as if the author had been present in every family upon earth and had not only witnessed the conduct of the happy and of the miserable in every grade, but he goes within, and unveils that mystery of iniquity, the human heart, its secret springs, feelings, and machinations. What mysterious power could this uneducated man have possessed, thus to dive into the most subtle of all secret repositories, the human heart? Could he have left his body at times, and his invisible spirit have entered all chambers, as was said of an ancient philosopher, Still, time would have been too short even to have transiently surveyed outward conduct. And then he could not have entered into the thoughts of others. Reader, the fountain of all hidden things was opened to him, shut up for many years in prison. With the key in his possession which unlocks all the mysteries of earth and heaven and hell, he diligently used his time and all was revealed to him, He makes the source of his knowledge no secret, but invites you to search. As he did this storehouse of things new and old, it was the Bible which unfolded to him all the great events of time and of eternity, all the secret springs of states and families and individuals' wondrous book. It made an uneducated artisan wiser than all the philosophers, who have been contented with Plato, Aristotle, Pliny, Plutarch, and the most renowned of human writers. Not only is the real state of human nature revealed with unerring truth as suffering under a cruel malady, strangely diverse in its operations, but all tending to the downward dark dreary road to misery temporal and eternal but it also displays the antidote an infallible remedy against all the subtleties of this torturous disease reader this treasure is in our hands how great is the responsibility how blessed are those who with earnest prayer for divine illumination read ponder and relying upon the aid of the holy spirit understand and instantly obey the sacred precepts which its pages unfold. Weigh well their nature and tendency, as Bunyan opens them in this invaluable treatise. They lead step by step from darkness to light. It may be a tempestuous passage in the dim twilight, as it was with him, But it is safe and leads to the fountain of happiness, the source of blessedness, the presence and smiles of God, and the being conformed to His image. In proportion as we are thus transformed in our minds, we shall be able to fulfill all our duties and behavior as becometh Christians. We dare not seek to avoid these duties because they are full of anxieties. Blessed are those who know and feel the ties of church fellowship or the nearer union of husband and wife, that type of the mystical union of Christ and his church. Happy are those who piously discharge parental and filial duties, that figure of the relationship which the Almighty in infinite condescension owns between him and his fallen but renewed creatures vows of celibacy disturb all the order and harmonies of creation and are fleshly sensual devilish the unmarried are strangers to those delightful or painful sensibilities which drive the soul to continual converse with god either in heartfelt praises or for divine assistance to glorify him in the discharge of domestic duties They who vow celibacy fly in the face of the infinitely wise Eternal, who said it is not good for man to be alone. He sets up his puny antagonism to omnipotence. It is true that in the prospect of the desolations which were foretold by the Savior and were about to be poured out upon Jerusalem, For the present distress, the short time Paul advised, not commanded a temporary deviation from the order of nature like an eclipse of the sun or moon for a short time which no one could wish to be prolonged. We are bound in the expectation of the divine approbation not to shrink from duties but to seek wisdom to fulfill them. And in this little work, we have a scriptural guide to which we shall do well to take heed. It is a peculiarly solemn legacy. The author's ardent desire is thus expressed. Before I die as the greatest of all the duties he had to perform, let me provoke you to faith and holiness be it our duty and privilege to examine our conduct faithfully by those portions of holy writ with which this treatise is beautifully adorned. It was written in the prospect of sufferings and death, and yet how serene was his soul. No cloud, no doubts or fears are seen. His legacy to us as well as to those who survived him is, Love one another when I am deceased. My labors of love to you are limited to this world, though there I shall rest from my labors and be in paradise, as through grace I comfortably believe, yet it is not there, but here I must do you good. Consider what he has advanced and the scriptures by which every sentence is confirmed, and may his concluding and fervent prayer be answered to our souls. The Lord give us understanding in all things. Farewell. George offer the epistle to the reader, courteous reader, having formerly writ some small matter touching the doctrine of faith, as justification by grace through the faith of Christ's blood, etc. I do hear as the second to that doctrine, present thee with a few lines touching good works, that I might, as at first I showed thee the good and glory of the one, so now show thee the beauty and excellency of the other. For though we are justified freely by grace through Christ before God, yet we are justified before men by our works. Nay, a life of holiness flowing from faith in us that are saved by grace, it doth justify that grace before the world that justifies us before God. I have not here only in general treated of this doctrine of good works, but particularly after some discourse about works flowing from faith and what makes it truly and gospelly good, I discourse of them as we stand under our several relations in this world among men as the duty of the master of a family of the husband to his wife and of hers to him of the duty of parents to their children and of children to their parents of masters also to their servants and of the servant again to his master with a brief touch upon good neighborhood and a discovery of covetousness, pride, and uncleanness, which are great obstructions to a truly gospel conversation. I know there are many that have treated of good works in large and learned discourses, but I doubt all have not so gospelized their discourses as becomes them, and as the doctrine of the grace of God calleth for. However, I thought it my duty to add this discourse to all that are past, and that for these reasons, 1. To take away those aspersions that the adversaries cast upon our doctrine as also in the days of Paul, that because we preach justification without works of the law, therefore they pretend we plead for looseness of life, whose damnation is just 2. Because, though there be much discourse about works in general, yet a particular discourse of them, as before is touched, is too much neglected. And by this means everyone too much left at uncertainties, as from them, of their several works under their particular relations, which I think is one reason of that disorder in families and places where God's people live, to their shame and the dishonor of God. Three, because these few books that do particularly treat thus of good works are, I think, now so scarce or so big, that but few have them, and few buy them, and few buy them, if they may be had, especially our new converts, for whose sakes principally this short discourse is intended. And indeed, this is one reason of my brevity— that the price might neither be burdensome, nor the reading long and tedious. Multitude of words drown the memory, and an exhortation in few words may yet be so full, that the reader may find that in one side of a sheet, which some are forced to hunt for in a whole book, the Lord teach us this wisdom. For I have written this book to show that I bear a fellow, testimony and witness with all that know God of the operation that grace hath and will have in the heart that hath savingly received it. Lastly, I have thus written, because it is amiable and pleasant to God, when Christians keep their rank, relation, and station, doing all as becometh their quality and calling." when christians stand everyone in their places and do the work of their relations then they are like the flowers in the garden that stand and grow where the gardener hath planted them and then they shall both honor the garden in which they are planted and the gardener that hath so disposed of them from the hyssop in the wall to the cedar in lebanon their fruit is their glory and seeing the stock into which we are planted is the fruitfullest stock. The sap conveyed thereout the fruitfullest sap, and the dresser of our souls the wisest husbandman. How contrary to nature, to example and expectation should we be if we should not be rich in good works. Wherefore take heed of being painted fire, wherein is no warmth, and painted flowers, which retain no smell and of being painted trees, whereon is no fruit. Whoso boasteth himself of a false gift is like clouds and wind without rain. Farewell. The Lord be with thy spirit, that thou mayest profit for time to come. John Bunyan, Christian Behavior. That being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Titus three seventy-eight. I shall not at this time discourse of every particular at large, included in these words but shall briefly fall upon those things that I judge most necessary for the people of God. Neither shall I need to make any great preamble to the words for their explication, they themselves being plain and without that ambiguity that calleth for such a thing, the general scope being this, that they which have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. But yet to prosecute what I intend, With what clearness I may, I shall, in a word or two, make way for what is to be the main of this book. This is a faithful saying, this. Which, why, that which goeth before, namely, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly. Why so? Why that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works? The meaning is that the way to provoke others to good works is constantly in the evidence and demonstration of the Spirit to show them the certainty of their these believers being by grace made heirs of eternal life. From this scripture, therefore, I do gather these things observable. First that good works do flow from faith. Yea, second that every one that believeth should be careful that their works be good. Third that every believer should not only be careful that their works be good and for the present do them, but should also be careful to maintain them. But that is they should carefully study to keep in a constant course of good works. Fourth And lastly, that the best way to provoke both ourselves and others to this work, it is to be often affirming to others the doctrine of justification by grace and to believe it ourselves. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will, saith Paul, that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. First, I begin with the first that good works do flow from faith. This is evident divers ways. First, from the impossibility of their flowing from any other thing. They must either flow from faith or not at all. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And again, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Every man by nature, Before faith is an evil and a corrupt tree, and a corrupt tree cannot bring forth good fruit. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Now a man is made good by faith, and by that bringeth forth the fruits that are acceptable to God. Wherefore sinners before faith are compared to the wilderness, whose fruits are briars and thorns." and whose hearts are the habitation of dragons, that is, of devils. And hence again it is that they are said to be godless, Christless, spiritless, faithless, hopeless, without the covenant of grace, without strength, enemies in their minds by wicked works and possessed by the spirit of wickedness, as a castle by a conqueror. Now, these things being thus... It is impossible that all the men under heaven that are unconverted should be able to bring forth one work, rightly good. Even as impossible as for all the briars and thorns under heaven to bring forth one cluster of grapes or one bunch of figs, for indeed they want the qualification. A thorn bringeth not forth figs, because it wanteth the nature of the fig tree and so doth the bramble the nature of the vine. Good works must come from a good heart. Now, this the unbeliever wanteth, because he wanteth faith, for it is that which purifieth the heart. Good works must come from love to the Lord Jesus. But this the unbeliever wanteth also, because he wanteth faith. For faith worketh by love, and by that means doth good. And hence again it is that though the carnal man doth never so much which he calleth good, yet it is rejected, slighted, and turned as dirt in his face again. His prayers are abominable, his plowing is sin, and all his righteousness is menstruous rags. Thus you see that without faith there are no good works. Now then to show you that they flow from faith, And that for that faith is a principle of life, by which a Christian lives, a principle of motion, by which it walks towards heaven in the way of holiness. It is also a principle of strength, by which the soul opposeth its lust, the devil, and this world, and overcomes them. This is the victory, even our faith, in the heart of a Christian, is like the salt that was thrown into the corrupt fountain that made the naughty waters good and the barren land fruitful. Faith, when it is wrought in the heart, is like leaven hid in the meal, or like perfume that lighteth upon stinking leather, turning the smell of the leather into the savor of the perfume faith being then planted in the heart and having its natural inclination to holiness hence it is that there followeth an alteration of the life and conversation and so bringeth forth fruit accordingly a good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good which treasure i say is this faith and therefore it is that faith is called the faith, according to godliness, and the most holy faith. Second, good works must needs flow from faith, or no way, because that alone carrieth in it an argument sufficiently prevalent to win upon our natures, to make them comply with holiness. Faith showeth us that God loveth us, that he forgiveth us our sins, that he accounteth us for his children, having freely justified us through the blood of his Son. Faith receiveth the promise, embraceth it, and comforteth the soul unspeakably with it. Faith is so great an artist in arguing and reasoning with the soul that it will bring over the hardest heart that it hath to deal with. It will bring to my remembrance at once both my vileness against God and his goodness towards me. It will show me that though I deserve not to breathe in the air, yet that God will have me an air of glory. Now there is no argument greater than this. This will make a man run through 10,000 difficulties to answer God, though he never can, for the grace he hath bestowed on him. Further faith will show me how distinguishingly this love of God hath set itself upon me. It will show me that, though Esau was Jacob's brother, yet he loved Jacob, that though there were thousands more besides me that were as good as me, yet I must be the man that must be chosen. Now this, I say, is a marvelous argument, and unspeakably prevaileth with the sinner, as saith the Apostle. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then were all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live, that is by faith, should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Love, saith the wise man, is strong as death. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would utterly be contempt. Oh, when the broken, dying, condemned soul can but see by faith the love of a tender-hearted Savior and also see what he underwent to deliver it from under that death, guilt and hell that now it feels and fears which also it knoweth it hath most justly and highly deserved. Then bless the Lord, O my soul. And what shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits? Thus is faith a prevailing argument to the sinner, whereby he is fetched off from what he was, and constrained to bend and yield to what before he neither would nor could. And hence it is, That gospel obedience is called the obedience of faith, as well as obedience to the faith. For it must be by the faith of Christ in my heart that I submit to the word of faith in the Bible. Otherwise, all is to no profit. As saith the apostle, the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For faith alone can see the reality of what the gospel saith. And so I say, argue over the heart to the embracing of it. Third, faith is such a grace as will represent to the soul all things in their proper colors. It doth not as doth unbelief and ignorance show us all things out of order, putting darkness for light and bitter for sweet, but will set everything in its proper place Before our eyes, God and Christ shall be with it, the chiefest good, the most lovely and amiable. A heavenly life shall be of greater esteem and more desirable than all the treasures of Egypt. Righteousness and sanctification will be the thing after which it will most vehemently press because it seeth not only death and damnation as the fruits of sin, but sin also in itself, distinct from the punishment belonging to it, a detestable, horrible, and odious thing. By faith we see that this world hath no abiding in it for us, nor no satisfaction if it were otherwise. And hence it is that the people of God have grown to be gone from hence into a state that is both sinless and temptationless. And hence, it is again that they have run through so many trials, afflictions, and adversities, even because of that love to holiness of life that faith being in their hearts did prompt them to by showing them the worth and durableness of that which was good and the irksomeness and evil of all things else. Fourth, faith layeth hold of that which is able to help the soul to bring forth good works. It layeth hold of and engageth the strength of Christ, and by that overcometh that which oppresseth. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. In a word... A life of holiness and godliness in this world doth so inseparably follow a principle of faith that it is both monstrous and ridiculous to suppose the contrary. What? Shall not he that hath life have motion? He that hath by faith received the spirit of holiness, shall not he be holy? And he that is called to glory and virtue, shall not he add to his faith virtue? We are by faith made good trees, and shall not we bring forth good fruit? They that believe are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And God hath, before the world was, ordained that we should walk in them. And shall both our second creation and God's foreordination be made frustrate? Besides, the children of faith are the children of light and of the day. Lights upon a hill, and candles on a candlestick, and shall not they shine? They are the salt of the earth, shall not they be seasoning? The believer is the alone man, by whom God showeth to the world the power of his grace, the operation of his people's faith, etc. The unbelievers read indeed of the power of grace, of the faith, hope, love, joy, peace, and sanctification of the heart of the Christian. But they feel nothing of that sin-killing operation that is in these things. These are to them as a story of Rome or Spain. Wherefore, to show them in others what they find not in themselves, God worketh faith, hope, love, etc., in a generation that shall serve him and by them they shall see what they cannot find in themselves. And by this means they shall be convinced that those sin and the pleasures of this life be sweet to them. Yet there is a people otherwise minded, even such a people that do indeed see the glory of that which others read of, and from that sight take pleasure in those things which they are most averse unto. To this I say are Christians called, herein is God glorified, hereby are sinners convinced, (sighs) and by this the world condemned. Object. But if faith doth so naturally cause good works, what then is the reason that God's people find it so hard a matter to be fruitful in good works? Answer 1. God's people are fruitful in good works according to the proportion of their faith. If they be slender in good works, it is because they are weak in faith. Little faith is like small candles or weak fire, which though they shine and have heat, yet but dim shining and small heat when compared with bigger candles and greater fire. The reason why Sardis had some in it whose works were not perfect before God, it was because they did not hold fast by faith the word that they had formerly heard and received. Two, there may be a great mistake in our judging of our own fruitfulness. The soul that indeed is candid and right at heart is taught by grace to judge itself, though fruitful yet barren upon two accounts. One, when it compareth its life to the mercy bestowed upon it, For when a soul doth indeed consider the greatness and riches of the mercy bestowed upon it, then it must needs cry out, O wretched man that I am. For it seeth itself wonderfully to fall short of a conversation, becoming one who hath received so great a benefit. Two, it may also judge itself barren, because it falleth so far short of that it would attain unto, it cannot do the thing that it would. Three, the heart of a Christian is naturally very barren, upon which though the seed of grace, that is the fruitfulness of all seeds be sown, yet the heart is naturally subject to bring forth weeds. Now to have a good crop from such ground doth argue the fruitfulness of the seed, Wherefore, I conclude upon these three things. One, that the seed of faith is a very fruitful seed, in that it will be fruitful in so barren a soil. Two, that faith is not beholden to the heart, but the heart to it, for all its fruitfulness. Three, that therefore the way to be a more fruitful Christian, it is to be stronger in believing, Second, now for the second thing, to wit, that everyone that believeth should be careful that their works be good. This followeth from what went just before. To wit, that the heart of a Christian is a heart subject to bring forth weeds. There is flesh as well as spirit in the best of saints. And as the spirit of grace will be always putting forth something that is good, So the flesh will be putting forth continually that which is evil. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. Now, this considered is the cause why you find so often in the scriptures so many items and cautions to the Christians to look to their lives and conversations. As keep thy heart with all diligence, watch ye stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men, be strong, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. All works are not good that that seem to be so. It is one thing for a man's ways to be right in his own eye, and another for them to be right in God's. Often that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. Seeing corruption is not yet out of our natures. There is a proneness in us to build even upon the right foundation wood, hay, and stubble, instead of gold and silver and precious stones. How was both David the king, Nathan the prophet, and Uzzah the priest, deceived, touching good works? Peter also In both his defending his master in the garden and in dissuading of him from his sufferings, though both out of love and affection to his master was deceived, touching good works. Many have miscarried both as to doctrine, worship, and the prosecution of each. First, for doctrine, Christ tells the Jews that they taught for the doctrines of God the doctrines and traditions of men. As also saith the apostle, they teach things they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. Second, also touching worship, we find how frequently men have mistaken, both for time, place, and matter, with which they worshipped. One, for time. It hath been that which man hath devised, not which God hath commanded. They change the ordinance, saith Isaiah 24, 5. They change God's judgments into wickedness, saith Ezekiel 5, 6. 2. For place, when they should have worshipped at Jerusalem, they worshipped at Bethel, at Gilgal and Dan, in gardens, under poplars and elms. 3. For the matter with which they worshipped, Instead of bringing according to the commandment, they brought the lame, the torn, and the sick. They would sanctify themselves in gardens with swines, flesh, and mice when they should have done it at Jerusalem with bullocks and lambs. Third, again, touching men's prosecuting their zeal for their worship. As they do think right, how hot hath it been, though with no reason at all. Nebuchadnezzar will have his fiery furnace, and Darius his lion's den for nonconformists again. They have persecuted men even to strange cities, have laid traps and snares in every corner to entrap and to entangle their words. And if they could at any time but kill the persons that dissented from them, they would think they did God good service. But what need we look so far from home were it not that I would seal my sayings with truth? we need look no farther to affirm this position than to the papists and their companions. How many have they in all ages hanged, burned, starved, drowned, racked, dismembered, and murdered, both openly and in secret, and all under a pretense of God, His worship, and good works. Thus you see how wise men and fools, saints and sinners— Christians and heathens have erred in the business of good works. Wherefore, everyone should be careful to see that their works be good. Now then, to prevent, if God will, miscarriage in this matter, I shall propound unto you what it is for a work to be rightly good. First, a good work must have the word for its authority. Second, it must, as afore was said, flow from faith. Third, it must be both rightly timed and rightly placed. Fourth, it must be done willingly, cheerfully, etc. First, it must have the word for its authority. Zeal without knowledge is like a metalled horse without eyes, or like a sword in a madman's hand. And there is no knowledge where there is not the word. For if they reject the word of the Lord, and act not by that, what wisdom is in them? Saith the prophet, wherefore see thou have the word for what thou dost? Second, as there must be the word for the authorizing of what thou dost, so there must be faith from which it must flow, as I showed you before. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin and without faith it is impossible to please God. Now I say without the word there is no faith, as without faith there is no good. Let men's pretenses be what they will. Third, as it must have these two aforenamed, so also it must have one right time and two right place. One, it must be rightly timed. Every work is not to be done at the same time, every time not being convenient for such a work. There is a time for all things, and everything is beautiful in its time. There is a time to pray, a time to hear, a time to read, a time to confer, a time to meditate, a time to do, and a time to suffer. Now, to be hearing when we should be preaching and doing, that is, yielding active obedience to that under which we ought to suffer, is not good. Christ was very wary that both his doings and sufferings were rightly timed. And herein we ought to follow his steps. To be a plow in the field when I should be hearing the word is not good. And to be talking abroad when I should be instructing my family at home, is as bad. Whoso keepeth the commandment shall feel no evil thing, and a wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. Good things mistimed are fruitless, unprofitable, and vain. Two, as things must have their right time, so they must be rightly placed. For the misplacing of any work is as bad as the mistiming of it. When I say, things, if good, must be rightly placed, I mean, we should not give to any work more than the word of God alloweth it, neither should we give it less. Mint, anise, and cumin are not so weighty matters as faith and the love of God. As in, for a pastor to be exercising the office of a deacon Instead of the office of a pastor, it is misplacing of works. For Martha to be making outward provision for Christ, when she should have sat at his feet to hear his word, was the misplacing of work. And for her sister to have done it at her request, though the thing in itself was good, had been her sin also. Now, to prevent the misplacing of good works, one, they misplace them that set them in the room of Christ. Two, they also misplace them that make them co-partners with Him. This is setting up our post by God's posts and man's righteousness by the righteousness of Christ. These are said to be teachers of the law, not knowing what they say nor whereof they affirm. Three, they also misplace works who ascribe to a work of less moment, that honor that belongeth to a work more noble. And such are, A, those who count the ceremonial part of an ordinance, as good as the doctrine and signification of it. B, such who account the dictates and impulses of a mere natural conscience, as good as high and divine as the leadings and movings of the Spirit of Christ. C. Those also who counted enough to do something of what God hath commanded, and that something, possibly the least, instead of all, and the things more necessary and weighty. D. They also much misplace them, who count things indifferent as high as those that are absolutely necessary in the worship of God. E. But the grocer who place men's traditions above them, F and they greatest of all who put bitter for sweet and darkness for light. All these things we must shun and avoid as things absolutely obstructive to good works. Wherefore, touching good works, obedience is better than sacrifice. That is, to do things according to the word of God is better than to do them according to my fancy and conceit. Wherefore, let all things be done decently and in order. Fourth, again, as good works should be ordered and qualified, as before is touched. So they should be done from the heart willingly, cheerfully, with simplicity and charity, according to what a man hath. Farther, there are three things that a man should have in his eye in every work he doth. One the honor of God, two, the edification of his neighbor, three, the expediency or inexpediency of what I am to do, and always observe it that the honor of God is wrapped up in the edification of thy neighbor, and the edification of thy neighbor in the expediency of what thou dost. Again. If thou wouldst walk to the edification of thy neighbor, and so to God's honor in the midst of thy observers, beware, first, that thou in thy words and carriages dost so demean thyself, that Christ in his precious benefits may be with clearness spoken forth by thee. And take heed that thou dost not enter into doubtful points with them that are weak, but deal chiefly lovingly and wisely, with their consciences about those matters that tend to their establishment in the faith of their justification and deliverance from death and hell. Comfort the feeble-minded, confirm the weak. Secondly, if thou be stronger than thy brother, take heed that thou do not that before him. That may offend his weak conscience. I mean, things that in themselves may be lawful. All that is lawful is not expedient, all that is lawful edifieth not. Wherefore, here is thy wisdom and love, that thou in some things deny thyself for thy brother's sake. I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, saith Paul, lest I make my brother to offend. Wherefore, have this faith to thyself before God. But if thou walk otherwise, no, thou walkest not charitably, and so not to edification, and so not to Christ's honor, but dost sin against Christ, and one thy weak brother for whom Christ died. But I say all this while, keep thy eye upon the word. Take heed of going contrary to that under any pretense whatever. For without the word there is nothing to God's glory, nor thy brother's edification. Wherefore, walk wisely in a perfect way, having thus in few words showed you what are works rightly good, I beseech you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you put yourselves into a conscientious performance of them, that you may, while you live here, be vessels of honor and fit for the master's use and prepared to every good work. Study to approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. Covet communion with God. Covet earnestly the best gifts. Ah, We that are redeemed from among men, and that rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, we that look, I say, for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, what manner of persons ought we to be in all holy conversation and godliness? To conclude, for your farther edification, take a plain rehearsal of your several general duties and works, to which God engageth you in his word, according to your places, callings, and relations in this world.